0: Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I pastor Orchard Hills Bible Church here in Payson, Utah. If you are in the Payson, Utah area, would love to meet you sometime. Come see us. We'll chat about the Bible and talk about Jesus. Have a great time. Well, today we have on the docket a pretty intense section that is just so hard for me to know what direction to go because I can go many different directions here, and I don't want to have this be a three-hour program talking about all sorts of things. I want to keep all these episodes more pointed and concise, so I've got a couple of thoughts bouncing around in my head about how I want to do this, and we'll just see what comes out. A very good time for me to take a sip of my morning coffee, and here we go. Today's schedule has this is for the week of May 22nd to the 28th has Matthew 24 and 25 you could spend a long time just on those two chapters that is for sure those are long chapters and they have to do with the end times in sister passages to Matthew 24 and 25 Mark 12 and 13 and Luke 21 again each one of those is on the same theme of the end and what's going to happen at the end And anybody who has spent time in a religious setting talking about end times knows you can just go on and on and on for a long time. So that's one of the dangers here. But in addition to those Bible passages on the docket for today or this week is also this book titled Joseph Smith hyphen Matthew 1. So this is a reference to a book that's in the Pearl of Great Price. I guess you can call it a book. It's essentially just one chapter. It says Matthew 1, but there is no Joseph Smith, Matthew 2. So um, let's start there because there are some things I want to say about that. I had had to do a little digging myself as to what this is. I've read the books of Moses and Abraham before. I had not read Matthew, Joseph Smith, Matthew 1 in the Pearl of Great Price. So, uh, if you go to the church's website, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, you can access, of course, all the scriptures there. And in the Pearl of Great Price, you'll find this book. Here it is Joseph Smith, Matthew. And the heading says, An extract from the translation of the Bible as revealed to Joseph Smith the prophet in 1831, Matthew 23 39, which is the last verse of Matthew 23. And Matthew 24. Now, what's interesting is as I pulled out my Joseph Smith translation hard copy and was kind of comparing it to this, it seemed like they didn't exactly line up because the Joseph Smith translation, for those of you who are unaware, is where he just took the Bible and went through and made edits. It was like an inspired, according to him, inspired editing of the Bible where this is a little different. There's a lot of like rearranging of verses and uh, kind of throwing stuff together. So he takes a lot from actually chapter 25 and mixes it in with chapter 24. So it makes it different than the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew 24, which is a bit strange to me because if you say, uh, you know, you are a Latter-day Saint, which is the most inspired version of Matthew 24? Is it? actual Matthew 24 from the Bible, is it the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith, Matthew 1, or is it the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible that has edits in it for Matthew 24? I don't know. I don't know which way you would go, though I would assume, even if you're unsure about this as a Latter-day Saint, you would probably lean toward one of those Joseph Smith edits, whether it's the Pearl of Great Price version of the Joseph Smith translation, Uh, because he was obviously seeking to correct something in the Bible, which he did quite often in the Joseph Smith translation. Many of the edits seem to have uh, little to no impact on the meaning of the text, but there are some that have major meaning to the text, which I find interesting. Romans uh, 8.30 is one of those. Maybe we'll talk about that when we get to Romans. I don't know. Uh, We're going to be really hurting for time when that happens. But uh, all that aside... It is curious to me that you basically, as a Latter-day Saint, have three options for Matthew 24, and uh, maybe not super clear direction as to which one you hold as the most inspired or the the go-to for this section. And, And I'll show you what I mean a little bit. So as you get into Joseph Smith, Matthew, which they call chapter one, but again, remember it's the end of 23 and 24 as it's in the Bible. Uh, It gives the summary up here. Jesus foretells the impending destruction of Jerusalem. He also discourses on the second coming of the Son of Man and the destruction of the wicked. So clearly uh, Joseph Smith here in his editing of this wanted to separate the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which is a historical fact. It's a very interesting historical fact that you should be informed of. From the uh, second coming, which is good because Jesus did not come back in 70 A.D., so those are two distinct uh, events. One has happened, one has not happened. But he's taking this section where Jesus talks about the second coming, and he's applying many of what I would say are second coming passages to 70 A.D. So um, when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., Joseph Smith seems to hear be implying by the way he's manipulating the text of Matthew 24 that that is a fulfillment of much of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and that the only thing really left to be fulfilled is his coming. It's kind of the way this is set up, the way he rearranged the verses and inserted some thoughts. And we'll look at that too momentarily. But uh, just to give you an idea, that's the dynamic at play is you've got these two events, one that happened almost 2000 years ago Romans destroying Jerusalem, and one that hasn't happened yet, Jesus returning. And Joseph Smith here seems to be mm, editing the text of Matthew 24 to say, these things Jesus said applied to 70 A.D., and these other things applied to a second coming. And uh, it's, it's not uncommon for Bible interpreters to do that, because you have to deal with the 70 A.D. issue. The Bible does talk about the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming from their perspective in 70 A.D., But you have to kind of figure out what's what's Jesus talking about here in Matthew 24. And as a Christian, we don't see it as an option to rearrange the text and to change the text of the Bible to make it fit what we think Jesus was talking about. Jesus said what he said, and we have to respect Jesus' words and keep them in the right order and honor what he has said. Uh, respect his teaching enough not to manipulate it. So that's going to be a big difference that Christians have with Joseph Smith. But let's uh, let's look at this. I keep going to the screen and then talking about other things. You'll see here in uh, verse 1, which is technically Matthew 23:39. So in this screen I've got Matthew 23:39 where it says, "For I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." That's a cool verse. The very last verse of Matthew 23. Now what does the Pearl of Great Price version of that say? For I say unto you that ye shall not see me henceforth, and know that I am he of whom it is written by the prophets, until ye shall say, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord, in the clouds of heaven, and all the holy angels with him. Then understood his disciples that he should come again on the earth. After that he was glorified and crowned on the right hand of God. So a much longer verse. The uh, first part, the first half, basically, is essentially uh, what that verse says, Matthew 23, 39. But then you have this added stuff here that is not in the Bible that Joseph Smith put in, where he's putting words in Jesus's mouth, which is a big no-no. And he says that Jesus actually said that... Here in this part that he's coming in the clouds of heaven, all the holy angels with him, and then his disciples understood that he should come again on the earth, and after that he was glorified and crowned at the right hand of God. So even though this contains, of course, true elements, that does not mean that that's what was actually said by Jesus or that's what was recorded by Matthew. So um, it's important to recognize that's what's going on here in the Pearl of Great Price. Is Joseph Smith is going in and he's putting what he thinks should be there, there. He's not doing this based on any Greek manuscripts. To my knowledge, Joseph Smith had zero access to any Greek manuscripts that we base the Bible off of as we, uh, I say we, as humanity collectively, as archaeological efforts and dig up a whole bunch of old manuscripts or find them in caves or whatever the case may be. We have these manuscripts that come together, and through that we base the English translations we have today on, on that. Well, Joseph Smith's not doing that. He is here claiming inspiration from God, saying that God has told him to change what the Bible says. Not based on any evidence, but based on just strictly, purely inspiration uh, that he says that he received to change it. There have been no Greek manuscripts that back up the Joseph Smith translation at all which is a problem because we have thousands of Greek manuscripts. I mean, it's a problem for those who believe in Joseph Smith because we have thousands of Greek manuscripts and none of them tell us what Joseph Smith actually was originally written. So that's a problem uh, for for that position. But now as we uh, consider comparing the two, Matthew 24 in the Bible with Joseph Smith, Matthew 1 in the Pearl of Great Price, now we're thrown off a verse. Because verse 1 here in the Joseph Smith version is actually the end of chapter 23, meaning verse 2 corresponds to, in the Bible, Matthew 24, 1. All right? So Matthew 24, 1 in the Bible says, Jesus came out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. Joseph Smith says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to hear him saying, Master, show us concerning the buildings of the temple, as thou hast said, they shall be thrown down and left unto you desolate. So two pretty different translations here. Uh, I shouldn't say translations because this isn't a translation with Joseph Smith. Two different readings of this verse. So again, with the Bible, His disciples came up to him, and they were the ones pointing out the temple buildings to Jesus. And that's where it ends. In the Joseph Smith version, um, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, show us concerning the buildings of the temple. So they're not pointing out to Jesus the buildings. They're asking him to point out to them the buildings of the temple. And they're referencing something he had said in the past, that they will be thrown down and left desolate. Whereas in the Bible, it says that they showed these buildings to him, and then he responded in verse two, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So that's when he makes this statement in the Bible's narrative. But in Joseph Smith's narrative, it's something that he had said before that they were referencing and saying, show us the buildings because you have said this. So I'm. I think I'm just gonna stop there with like the going uh, through this verse by verse comparing. I think you get the idea here, where you have Joseph Smith making these claims with what he says is an inspired edit of the Bible. Um, that, and I don't know exactly who published this, but in my the bookstore I like to go to in Provo, Pioneer Book, great bookstore they have uh, a copy of the Joseph Smith translation and it says something on the cover to the effect of the inspired edits of Joseph Smith. So I I assume that was only printed by a church publisher, uh, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints publisher. So that's kind of the way it's framed is these are inspired edits to the Bible. And, uh, that's, that's just kind of how that's viewed. Okay. Um, I disagree with that, of course, wholeheartedly. I think it's anti Christian and it's even anti Jesus to do that. To go to Jesus' words and to swap out what he has said as recorded in the Bible with what a man thinks that he said. Uh, God didn't inspire anybody to edit his own word, God doesn't need editors. That would look good on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, huh? God doesn't need editors. So that's my position on that. But there's one more thing I want to show to you after another sip of coffee. From the Pearl of Great Price, Matthew, and the Bible's Matthew. And it has to do with verse 12 as it's read in the Pearl of Great Price, Matthew. This kind of goes back to that whole separating the two events of 70 AD and the second coming. Joseph Smith edited the Bible to say this in verse 12, When you, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, then you shall stand in the holy place whoso readeth, let him understand. Okay. And then drop down to verse 18, For then, in those days, shall be great tribulation on the Jews and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, such as was not before sent upon Israel of God, since the beginning of their kingdom until this time, no, nor ever shall again, or never shall be sent again upon Israel. All right, so 12 and 18, as it's lined out here in the Pearl of Great Price compared to verse 15 in the Bible, where it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's 15 and 16. Okay, so let's compare that again with verse 12 in the Pearl of Great Price. When you, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, good so far... Concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, then you shall stand, you shall stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Well, in the Bible, it doesn't say Jerusalem here, and it doesn't say that you will stand in the temple, but the abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet is standing in the holy place. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the abomination of desolation is a reference to Daniel chapter nine, the 77s prophecy or 70 weeks prophecy, talking about that, which is to come this destruction, uh, that's going to happen not only, uh, to Jerusalem, but as we follow the narrative of the Bible, that's going to happen at a worldwide scale. And, uh, We see in Daniel chapter 9 that there is this evil man who's going to make a, a covenant with the people for seven years, and in the middle of that covenant, Three and a half years in, he's going to break the covenant, and things are going to go from bad to worse. This is a particular seven-year time of tribulation that's going to be awful, and it's going to affect everybody on the face of the earth, but it's going to be a particularly difficult time for Israel. It could also be called Jacob's trouble, Jacob, of course, being the one who was named Israel. And in Jeremiah chapter 30, I believe it's verse 7, this is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And while I'm talking about this so much, I should just pull up Daniel 9. I didn't have it pulled up beforehand. But Daniel 9, let's, um, let's just flip on over there real quick. Daniel 9, starting in 24, so 70 weeks. When it says weeks here, it's talking about sets of seven. So we're talking about length of time. And these sevens, or these weeks, are seven years each. So 70 sets of seven years. If you're a math professional, you'll know that's 490 years. All right. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, and to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, so that's when the 490 years starts, the 70 weeks or the 77s starts, when the decree was made to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which happened in Israel's history. They were able to come back in after the Babylonian captivity and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and that kicks off the beginning of these 490 years. So until or from that time until, it says, Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So again, math professional, you don't need a calculator. That seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks, and these weeks represent sets of seven years. So 69 times seven is 483 years. From the time of the decree until the time of the Messiah, it's going to be a span of 483 years. It goes on to say, "'It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks,' so after the 7 and the 62, "'the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary.'" And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. The abomination of desolation. That's what's being talked about in that phrase. Even until a complete destruction One that is decreed, poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, as you can imagine, this could take a long time for us to talk through. It has taken a long time for Christians throughout church history to talk about this and to interpret it, coming up with an explanation as to what is going on here and when it's going to happen. But there is one who is going to make a firm covenant with many people for seven years. Okay? He's uh, the prince who is to come. Not Messiah the prince, but the other prince who's going to come and destroy the sanctuary. He's the one who's going to make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And what Jesus is referencing here in Matthew 24 is the abomination of desolation, which is just another name you could give to this prince. He is the one who makes desolate desolate. And he does so on the wing of abominations. He is going to destroy the sanctuary. And so Jesus says in verse 15 of Matthew 24, when you see this abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, the sanctuary, it's time to get out of Dodge. (laughs) Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains because stuff's about to get real. He's made the covenant with the many people for one week. That's seven years. And in the middle of that, he's going to break it and he's standing in the holy place to destroy the sanctuary, things are going to get bad. Now, uh, the question is, of course, when did this happen, or has this even happened yet? My position is that this has not happened yet. Some people will say, going back to this two-event paradigm, that in 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, that it happened then. That's what some people will say. I don't believe so. I do believe that 70 AD is talked about in the Bible, that that big event of the destruction of Jerusalem is spoken of, particularly in Luke, and it foreshadows the worldwide tribulation that's coming and the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem that's coming. But this ultimate destruction hasn't happened yet. Uh, This person who has made a seven-year covenant with many for, uh, you know, again, seven years... And then breaking it in the middle, standing in the sanctuary and destroying it, I don't think that's happened yet, ultimately. Perhaps there's there was some foreshadowing even particularly of that in 70 AD. I don't know if there was a seven-year covenant in 70 AD or not, and I think it would be really difficult for us to figure that out. But ultimately, I believe this is going to happen through the Antichrist, that as Israel rebuilds a temple, you know, they they happen to be a nation again. <laughs> Since 1948, and uh, the embassy of the U.S. has been moved to Jerusalem, recognizing that Jerusalem is the center of it all. And one of these days, it's certainly conceivable they'll start rebuilding a temple, and stuff will start going down in Israel. I believe that that is going to happen again. And there's going to be this one, this prince who is to come, who's going to destroy things, who's going to destroy this temple that they build, who's going to, on the wing of abominations, make it desolate. He himself is going to stand into the, in the temple, and it will be time for the Jews to recognize they need to get out, because it's going to get really, really bad for them. So if we take that understanding of what's going on in the Bible and go back to the Joseph Smith version of this. It says in verse 12 um, that this is, this abomination of desolation is concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, and I believe he's talking here about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It really doesn't make any sense where he makes Jesus to say, then you shall stand in the holy place. Because Jesus actually said that this prince who is to come, who's going to destroy the holy place, is going to be standing in the holy place, profaning the temple. It says elsewhere in the Bible, and maybe I should get that pulled up too, just because. In Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, it says, let me get back over here. There we go. Second Thessalonians 2, that there's a man of lawlessness coming. Uh, he is also called the Son of destruction. Paul says, "Let no one in any way deceive you for it, meaning the day of the Lord." the end, the time of God's wrath, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship and takes his seat in the temple of God, the holy place, the sanctuary, displaying himself as being God. That's what it says to the end of verse 4 there. So you have this one who is coming. He's a man of lawlessness. He's a son of destruction. He's going to go into the temple, take his seat in the temple, displaying himself as God, and ultimately is going to destroy that temple. All right? So for Joseph Smith to change what Jesus is saying, that you will be standing in the holy place, it's, it's a bad translation. Okay, because it's not a translation. It's just inserting thoughts, man's thoughts into that passage. Well, I also read for you verse 18 of the Joseph Smith version of this in the Pearl of Great Price, where it says, For then in those days shall be great tribulation on the Jews and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, such as was not before sent upon Israel of God since the beginning of their kingdom, Until this time, no, nor ever shall be sent again upon Israel. So, again, we have this what appears to be Joseph Smith manipulating the text and Jesus' words to be talking about 70 AD only, saying that this is happening upon the Jews only and upon Jerusalem only. Or maybe not upon the Jews only, but it's happening to the Jews specifically, but it's happening on Jerusalem only. So, he's looking at this fulfillment. In 70 a.d. and that's it but he's changed the words of jesus because what jesus has said matthew 24 verse 21 for then there will be a great tribulation such has not or such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will see there's no mention of jews there's no mention specifically of jerusalem Uh, in that verse. Now, of course, he says up here that I already read to you, those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Okay, we see that. Um, There's mention, of course, to their local context, because these are Jews he's speaking to, his disciples. And there will be a time of tribulation that the Jews will go through. Like I said, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. They will be particularly affected. But we also see in Jesus's words through here that it's going to be a massive tribulation. Notice he says, That this tribulation is going to be distinct from all other tribulations that have ever existed up until that point. This tribulation is going to be unmatched by anything else. I would say including the flood. The flood was worldwide, wasn't it? And the flood doesn't even compare to this. It's going to affect the world with a particular effect on Israel. And there's a whole lot to say about that, but that's just where I'll leave it for now. And so for Joseph Smith then to say that it's going to happen to the Jews and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, such as was not, sent, not before sent upon Israel, so he again adds upon Israel, whereas Jesus is talking about the whole world. It hasn't happened in the whole world uh, anything like this. Well, Joseph Smith is limiting it to Israel because I think, again, he's seeing all this being fulfilled in the first century. Well, he's changing the meaning. And he says, it's something that's never happened to Israel. No, it'll never even happen again upon Israel. It's a unique time, and it's just for Israel. He's inserting all of that. Where Jesus says, it hasn't happened since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. All right, so two different views on this based on a faulty reading of what Jesus actually said. So we just have to be so, so careful when approaching the Bible that we're not just taking what someone gives us, it might be full of man's thoughts and not reflecting what God has actually said. Wow, that was a lot. Another sip of coffee is in order. As we cross the 30 minute mark right now. Wow. Okay. Um I gave you a lot of information, didn't I? What to do now? What to do? <clears throat> How about this? We'll jump on over to Mark 13. And we'll end with just some thoughts from the book of Mark, where I'm done talking about Joseph Smith. I'm done talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I just want to talk about the Bible and what Jesus has said. All right. So you have, again, this is a sister passage, Mark 13, talking about the end times. And this verse is very similar to the one we just read in Matthew 24. Jesus says, For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now, and never will. So, whether or not you are tracking through everything I was just explaining before, whether or not you care, if you're still listening, here's what's really important. There is coming a great time of tribulation where God's wrath is going to be poured out on the face of the earth and all sinners will be affected. Everybody who is in sin, everybody who is found guilty before God, will suffer the just and holy wrath of God. It's a time of tribulation caused by God. It's from God. It's displaying His perfect wrath against the rebellion of all of creation it's called the day of the Lord and you do not want to be around for it you do not want to go through the day of the Lord you do not want to suffer the wrath of God because there's no escaping the wrath of God uh, when he has handed you over to his wrath now amazingly in God's forbearance his patience His kindness and His grace, even during this time of tribulation, God will be saving some. He'll be saving a remnant. We know in particular there will be Jews who will be saved in the future, and that's a whole study on its own. I could walk you through the passages on that. But even there will be some Gentiles who are saved. The church will not be on the face of the earth during this time. It says actually in Revelation that there's going to be an angel that flies overhead proclaiming the gospel while God is pouring out his wrath. So you don't have the church sending out preachers as has been the norm. You have now during this time of wrath angels flying overhead and in particular special witnesses like the 144,000 or the two witnesses. Okay, So you have these special means that God uses now that the church is gone in getting the word out. This time of great tribulation is going to be a freaky time. It will be scary. You thought COVID was scary. Now, see, I just said the word. Now this video is going to be flagged. You thought pandemics were scary. You thought, uh, you know, the the government of the United States and all the turbulence that's happening there with the political parties and all that. You thought that was scary. You thought the uh, World Economic Forum was scary. And what they want to do with, with the world, uh, none of that holds a candle to God's wrath. The fury of the wrath of God, holy, pure, perfect, just, it's going to be, for sinners, the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to them. It's a time of tribulation that's coming, and it's going to happen to the face of the earth. That should frighten you. I, I once had a doctor who uh, who spotted something on my body that uh, didn't look right. It was actually in my mouth. It looked like a cancerous growth. Praise God, uh, God took it away, quite literally. It was like it was raptured overnight or something. It's a crazy story. But when that first doctor was looking at it, he was telling me that I need to go get some sort of a biopsy on it. It needed to be examined. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, I am trying to scare you. Okay? So, uh, I can be a, a, a spiritual doctor here in this moment telling you, I am trying to scare you. This fierce day of God's wrath is more certain than any kind of doctor's diagnosis, any, any kind of estimation of man. This is for certain going to happen because God has said it. We just heard from the words of Jesus That it will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now, and never will. It's going to be a terrible time. What's going to happen after that tribulation? Well, Jesus goes on to talk about that. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth the angels, and will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who sat, or who upon, I don't know why I said sat, it is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows. Or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Are you on the alert? Just as there will be signs for those who go through the tribulation, recognizing all these things that are happening, they know that the coming of the Son of Man is near. They, they look around, they see... The abomination of desolation standing in the temple. They see what was prophesied by Daniel about the man making a covenant and breaking it, happening right before their eyes. There's all kinds of stuff you can read in Revelation. Of course, we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. You have all these signs of the end times. And people can recognize that the coming of the Lord is near based on those things. Well, even today... Before we've gotten into this tribulation business, there are signs that you can perceive. If you have your eyes open, if at least to a small degree, you're on the alert, you know things are getting worse. This world is going downhill. We're spiraling down and down and down. And at the bottom lies the judgment, the wrath of God. Will you be included in that? Perhaps right now, if you're not a believer and you answer honestly, you have to say, yes, I'm guilty. I have sinned. And God, if this judgment of God truly is holy and just and perfect, I can't escape that. Friend, if that's the case, today is the day of salvation. I have good news for you. You do not have to be judged by God in His fury, in His wrath. You do not have to suffer the vengeance of God, but you can be saved today. You can turn from your wicked ways. You can turn from the evil philosophies of the world and the philosophies of men and the manipulation of the Bible. And you can embrace, receive what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. Embrace the word of God. It would be like a seed planted in your heart that would be nurtured and and fertilized and watered by God himself, growing that seed up into a fruit-bearing plant that your life would be changed from now all through eternity, that you would make a true difference on earth for Jesus while also spending eternity with God enjoying him forever, not only in heaven, but when he comes back and establishes a new heaven and a new earth, when he reigns in his kingdom, you can enjoy it all with God forever. You do not have to suffer the wrath of God. If you believe today, you will be saved. That is my message of encouragement to you. And what you believe in is not some complicated list of rituals, it's not a program, it's not joining, you know, a a 12-step deal, and at the end you get maybe this confidence, a little bit of confidence that you'll go to heaven. No, 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 no. It is right now, in a moment today, trusting that Jesus, the man who is God, God from all eternity, became a man, and he died on the cross in your place for your sins. The perfect sacrifice He offered himself on the cross where you should have been. He suffered the wrath of God that you deserve. And he rose again that if you believe in him by faith alone, you will be saved. As Jesus is ascended on high and at the right hand of God, you too can be exalted in him if you trust today. You will be considered righteous as a saint now and forevermore because you are in Christ by faith. That is your opportunity. That is what's in front of you today. And it all happens in an instant. At the moment of true belief, all of that happens once for all. There are no steps for you to follow. It's not this huge staircase that disappears into the clouds and maybe one day you'll get there. No, Jesus came down that staircase. Jesus came here and he did it all. He paid it all. that you can be made right with God once for all. And if that is you today you're saved. You're a Christian. You're going to heaven. You will not suffer the tribulation. You will not suffer the wrath of God, which is the tribulation. You will be spared. You will be destined not for wrath, but to obtain salvation in Christ. That is your hope. I hope you heard it loud and clear today. And if you have any questions about it, I want you to reach out. We'd love to talk to you, because that is the most important news I could ever share with you, is the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening today. Sorry this was a bit of a longer episode, but I trust it was fruitful. The Lord bless you.